Welcome to Season 2 of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. Happy New Year! Welcome to the <laughs> Week Pastor Podcast. We are so grateful that you have joined us for our very first episode in 2023. Happy Woo. New Year, Sua. Happy New Year! Oh, look at you, you little Korean yeah. person, you. Uh, yeah. I wonder, uh, do you, I wonder what your New Year's resolution is. We don't, do you do New Year's resolutions still? You know, I, I like to set goals for myself. So sometimes I kind of do, but you know what? I didn't, I, I have the last couple of years, I've not had any New Year's resolution. I don't I think do, I do have a goal though. Anymore. I, I, I want to, I, I need to lose about 10 pounds because I start to play tennis again. And I'm realizing with my weight of now, because, you know, I have very skinny little legs. I got, I got my it's legs. Not bragging. So, no, 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 no. It's not, it's a little embarrassing, but my legs are so skinny that I'm realizing with the weight that I'm carrying, um, going back and forth on a hard surface is doing a pretty disservice to my knees right now. And so I got. I feel like I, if I can drop 10 pounds, I will be a happy person. And I think my knees will thank me for it. So I, I think that's my New Year's resolution. Huh? So. I mean, I don't know. I feel like 10 pounds seems very doable. But remember yes, when you were trying to lose me. 10 pounds for your bike ride and it was really hard and then you almost died because you hadn't had carbs and you were trying to yeah. bike with no carbs? Do you remember yeah, this that's, situation? That's very, that very silly of me. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, good luck to you. I think, I, think I, 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 I started off well and I'm doing good and I'm going to get to my goal because when I set a goal, I'll do anything to reach it. So anyway, that's kind of like how I'm wired. And speaking of how we're wired personally, personality-wise, the <laughs> that thing was that smart. I want to do today is I want to, I want to give a shout out to Dr. Maria Ham. Dr. Dr. Maria Ham, you are awesome. Thank you for listening. It's great when we have somebody of your pedigree listening <laughs> as one of our audience. And you are so great at like sharing your thoughts after certain episodes, questions you have and things like that. And you talked about Enneagram. And we want, I wanted to open up. I wanted to talk a little bit about Enneagram. And I wanted us to learn. Now, if you don't know what an Enneagram is, it's basically a personality assessment test to kind of figure out you know, how you're wired personality-wise. And so that's what it is. It's kind of like the big thing. And so I know Myers-Briggs is my thing, Sue. I still love the Myers-Briggs. I know in Korea, the Myers-Briggs is like the it's hottest exploding. thing right now. I don't know why it suddenly started It is so now. much better than the Enneagram. hundred times better. I, 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 but, how but I agree in, with that? In the US. Oh, I, listen, I've talked to counselors. I've talked to other folks and they have said Myers-Briggs is better than Enneagram. But, but Enneagram is huge in America. I love right? that so you I, say this with such like, reso like, it's like you've spoken to it's kind of like when Colgate is like four out of five dentists recommend Colgate or whatever. <laughs> apparently Listen, it's like a completely flawed thing because they never the bomb, said all right. Apparently my the question was the never do you recommend Colgate over other toothpaste? You, it you was know, do you recommend Colgate for a toothpaste? So yeah, you know, four out of five. You should no, be concerned you know, that one didn't. I, I've talked to this one counselor and this is what he said to me. I said, I said, How well, many counselors do you talk to? I know a lot of counselors. I just said, I said, listen, okay. So like the, he was talking about the end, uh, uh, the Myers-Briggs a lot. And I was like, and I love the Myers-Briggs. And I said, but you know, I know there's a lot of different things now. Like, like, you know, one of the big things now is Enneagram. And he, you know what he said to me? This was exactly what he said. The Enneagram is crap. Okay. Is this guy a boomer? He's a boomer. Yeah, there you go. There's your answer. What do you mean? He's a psychologist. What do you mean? Yeah, but psychologists are not immune to becoming, you know, <laughs> out of why, touch. Why would his generation... So is it because it's too new and he doesn't want to learn a new thing? Is that what it no, is? I just, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily that it's crap. That? I think it's just that there's very different worldviews um, between the generations. Okay. And I actually think that the Myers-Briggs is so 
rigid and dogmatic and like prescriptive so that it's I don't so really amazing. know if if it like resonates with like the younger generation because they're much more about it's definitely resonating with the young Korean generation. But so Koreans in, are very Korea. rigid and and you know Korea and, like, is like like now in terms of culture they're like especially fashion they're like ten years ahead of us. They're like leading the world in this you know, stuff. I'm not sure if I agree with that. Oh, because 100%. as a Korean, I have seen the way Korean people dress uh, in like oh, Korean listen. dramas and stuff, and they do not look very nice. Listen, that is going to be the style here in five years. I guarantee you, I five, don't ten think years. So they started because they you start, know why. You know started. why I say that because Koreans are very conservative still in the way they dress, um, and. They would like there's certain things in America like okay for example I could never wear a tank like a like a spaghetti strap tank in Korea. Yeah, you can. Trust no, me, you, I was you can't. in Korea. Sua, they're wearing white tank top that stuff with a black bra so that people could see their bra. My dad you, said that there on... was a lady on the subway who was wearing like a low cut V neck and a guy next to her legit. No put his iced coffee down her cleavage because yes, he was so was, upset about it. Well, no, I was in Korea. This is eight years ago. They're wearing stuff so you could see like what's underneath. Like it's it's very, very revealing. So I would say that that is incorrect. Korea is not as traditional. Right now. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. All right. So that's not it. That's not it. Okay. So let's say this. What is your Enneagram? What is your Enneagram? And the reason why I am not too high on the Enneagram is because I've taken it multiple times. And I think like... I always get like a different answer. I get like three or four different answers, uh, like or whatever results it, it comes out on. And uh, so that's why sometimes I'm like, it's so inconsistent. But every time I take the Myers-Briggs, I am always an INFJ, no matter what. I'm always an INFJ. So that's why I like the Myers-Briggs. But anyway, um, Enneagram, what are you, Sua? I'm a one. Why do you look so angry right now? Because <laughs> I said the Myers-Briggs is crap. No, you said no. The, you said the enneagram. Enneagram is oh the enneagram. Crap. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, did, yeah. and you just relayed yeah. the opinion you, you of a seem boomer, annoyed right now. You boomer so psychologist. No, because I don't think that the Myers Briggs is crap, but I I think that their diagnostic tools that approach how people are wired in different ways. Like for example, the Myers Briggs approaches people in terms of like you know, mm. are they extroverts, introverts? Like, are they intuitive yes. or whatever? Versus the Enneagram just boils it down to what is your core fear and what is your core desire? Um, and I feel like it's just two different ways of approaching how people yeah. are wired. And the reason why I don't, I don't think my research is crap, but I also don't think Enneagram is crap. I think the reason why I'm, I'm a believer in the Enneagram is because I have seen various family and friends be like, find out what they are and then yeah. be so like it's so accurate in terms of like how they are that I'm like, there's no way this is like not somewhat yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. Like there's definitely yeah. substance here. Well, for example, for example, like I am a one. Okay. There's various names. What, for is, me. what is a one? What is a one? You know, there's all these like different ways. Like yeah. I think there was one is like the idealist, but then the other one is like the reformer. Um, and so basically we are marked by a core desire to be good. Um, and our core fear is that we will be corrupt. Um, and like, for example, like a prime number one in the Bible is the Apostle Paul mm. is a one. Um, something that I really appreciate about the Enneagram is that they see they show you what an Enneagram one looks like when they're going in a healthy way. Yeah. And what the Enneagram one's life starts looking like if they yes. start walking the unhealthy yes, yes, way. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and so there's like two directions, right? Which is so I accurate agree. because yep. um, 
and not to make this like super like spiritual or whatever, but I feel like, you know, God gifts us certain things, not like the spiritual yeah. gifts, but like the way we are created. Like he gifts us in certain unique ways. Yeah. And I think depending on how we work with those things, whether in a healthy or unhealthy way, it can manifest either in a really great way that encourages others and is very positive versus really negative and oppressive. And I yes. think it can go both ways depending on how we use those gifts. And I think that's why I kind of like the Enneagram yeah. because it shows you the two different ways it can look like, like how an Enneagram one could look like if they're at their healthiest versus yes. like what an Enneagram yes. one will look like when they're at their unhealthiest because it's yes. like a double-edged thing. Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, Myers-Briggs does that too, but I don't think it, they go that in-depth to it. But I, I did my Myers-Briggs very first when I did a church planner's assessment for our denomination. And I, they paid for it for me to do it. And it was oh. very exhaustive. And it came with like, you know, the good sides of the INFJ, the bad sides. Here are the areas you're going to struggle and all that kind of stuff. And I thought it was incredibly helpful. But I think you got actually have to pay for that. So yeah, you're right. The Enneagram is great because they show like what is at a high level one, what is that like a medium level one, and what is a low level one? And yeah. they, they kind of parse that. I think that's actually very helpful. So you're a one. And I think this is great. The reason why I think we would encourage you to do this, especially at the beginning of the year, is because you know, it's good to learn more about yourself. And, you know, again, like we talk about this, self-awareness is one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself because the more you become aware of yourself, the more you're going to grow as a person. And you're going to also accept some of the bad things too about you because that's the totality of who we are, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. And so that's why I think it's good to do these kinds of personality tests. So for me, I just took one recently uh, because we're doing the podcast and we're doing the episode. I am an eight an eight and Are you i am sure a, you're an eight now well see that's the thing i took it a couple months ago and i think what was i a couple months ago we talked about it with Gio. three was I a, oh oh i was a wait three. were you a three i thought you were a three hold on yeah you're right oh trust me you're right like i no, i, I actually, don't ever doubt don't you when it comes to that kind of stuff you always know you always know it i don't know it the way you know it um so you said i was a three I, the achiever not. yes you're right that's the achiever the three okay, yes yeah, so no, no, no 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 you were no i think no. you were a four sorry oh, the individualist Okay. Yes. yes. Individualist. Yes. Okay. You were a four. So, yeah. all right. So I took the four, right? I was a four a couple months ago and I definitely see myself in some of that, but I just took one recently and I'm going to go with the most recent one and I'm an eight. I'm an eight. All right. The eight is called the challenger. All right. It's the challenger. And I'm going to read what they wrote, uh, the printout that I got. All right. It says this, it says, you are tough, straightforward and intense. That's because your personality is based on the belief that only the strong survive in this world. <laughs> you try to make yourself invulnerable by pure strength and willpower. You enjoy to take charge, to go big, and to win. With the most energy of any type, you have the stamina to power through longer than most others. But you are in danger of running people over as well as running yourself dry. You are intense. It doesn't matter if you're physically large or small. If you're introverted or extroverted, male or female, old or young, you have the charisma to dominate a room as soon as you enter it when you speak you make sure people listen if you don't if people don't you have a problem and you tell them that they have a problem with it so i'm sorry anyway. what about that doesn't sound like you, <laughs> you I'm, I'm genuinely curious because you, you said you read it and you were like this is yeah, not so, all me well, well one of the things i was reading was saying that you're not vulnerable and i'm a vulnerable person right they're saying that because the strong if you're strong you can't be vulnerable because vul that's the opposite right that's the opposite of that and then they also wrote you also don't mind a good challenge which i don't in fact the moment someone tells you something can't be done is 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 the moment you decide to prove them wrong. True or it's false? Kind of true. It's kind yeah, of true. Okay. Yeah. There's a reason type eights are called challenger. You like to accept challenges as much as you like to challenge others. A solid, fierce, 
debate with someone who's able to hold their own strength refreshing like i just shared my new my new year's resolution to lose 10 pounds and i said i even said i'm going to achieve my goal like when i set a goal i'm going to get it done and that's kind of like the challenger role right this kind of power and intensity is one of your great strengths it also what gets you into trouble you are often surprised or irritated when you find out that other people experience you as intimidating insensitive or angry you don't see yourself that way what others call domineering you would just call being upfront and honest. I'm sorry. What part of this does not apply to you? <laughs> a lot. Well, some of it. Some of it for sure. Some of it for you know, sure. Okay. So I am very familiar with the type eight because I have a variety of friends in my life and family yeah. that are eights. Like for example, John is an eight. Yeah. Um, he's a, an eight through and through. Um, yeah. One thing that was interesting was I re I once read um, like couplings of like how mm -hmm. it plays out if like a three and a six marry mm -hmm. each other like it's you should figure out what jenny is and try to read up on what it looks like when jenny's type and your type marry because it's actually pretty okay. illuminating but i remember i looked at i'm on one time. and john's an eight and i looked at yeah. one and eight and it actually said in the thing that um ones and eights are not a good match <laughs> because um they both have very strong ideas of how yeah. things should be done yeah and but the thing, but they said ones and eights are very good partners in working together mm. because they have a very specific focus, which is justice. So ones and eights both care about so justice. That's how we get along so well. But here's why it's interesting. This is going to be funny okay. to you. And um, they said the difference, though, where it gets really difficult is that ones believe that there's a there justice needs to happen, and there's a very specific way that yeah. that justice needs to happen, which is you have to go through the proper channels. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like the aides are kind of like the vigilante where they're kind of like, as long as justice is served, it doesn't matter how you go about getting there. You oh my just God, have to that's get so there. Me. That's so um, me. I'm right. A so, so they say that's why <laughs> ones and eights are good partners because they both care about the same goals. But a lot of times they can't make a marriage work because one person's like, you can't do it like that. Yeah, and yeah, the other yeah, person's yeah. like, as long as I get there, what's the problem? No, you're saying like, but it kind of seems like one has integrity and the other one doesn't. You know, it's like it does because the eights are like, however we get it done, doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, and the ones are like. Well, but it does matter how we get there, you know. Yes, kind but of, I think we need each other to be okay. kind of like effective and efficient. Yeah. Um, but apparently the eights, one of the things that really triggers eights is because okay, one of the basic fears of the eight is yeah. that they don't want to be taken advantage of or controlled yes. by others, like manipulated mm -hmm. by others. Yes, yes, yes. But Man, something so that really anger. triggers them is in the justice portion is when they feel like other groups are being taken advantage of. Yes. Like it really triggers the eight. Yes. And so they will go through whatever lengths to make sure that the person who is taking advantage, like the strong person who's taking advantage yeah. of the weak, pays their dues. Like they will yeah. bring them to justice, but it doesn't matter how. They will just do it because that's not that's right. That's it. You know? That's it. Man, um, you know what? That I'm, I'm, I am clearly an eight. Then yeah, there is no yeah, other. Totally. Holy schmoly's! So Do you look, know who's an eight in the Bible? Who? John the Baptist. Oh, did he got beheaded, man? You don't think you just read the like all of that's these true. things? You don't think that would have gotten him beheaded? <laughs> John the Baptist. That's so funny. So here, here's what they say about the higher level functioning eights. Which which makes me happy because I'm like okay I think I could do this becoming self restrained and magnanimous merciful and forbearing <laughs> mastering self 
through and self-surrender to a higher authority, courageous, willing to put self in serious jeopardy to achieve their vision and have a lasting influence may achieve true heroism and historical greatness. Okay, that's like the height. Okay, but here's the unhealthy. (laughs) Here's the unhealthy level of an eight, all right? And I'm going to read all of them. I I just, it's so hilarious. Uh, uh, Defying any attempt to control people, become completely ruthless, uh, dictatorial, might make rights. And uh, the criminal, an outlaw, renegade, con See? artist, hard-hearted, immoral, and potentially violent. Okay, another one. <laughs> Develop delusional ideas about the power, invincibility, and ability to prevail. <laughs> Feeling omnipotent, invulnerable, recklessly overextending self. And then the last un- unhealthy level is if they get in danger, they may brutally destroy everything that has not conformed to their will <laughs> rather than to surrender to anyone else. Vengeful, barbaric, murderous, sociopathic tendencies generally corresponds to the antisocial personality disorder. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. I was like, oh my God, I think that was me when I was like in college. I, I could see, I could see and identify. So you know what? Okay. Enneagrams aren't crap. So my my uh, my counselor professor was wrong. Okay. Uh, Enneagrams are not crap. It's actually very good. I mean, so anyway, I am an it, eight. It makes total sense. And I know it's real because when I look back at my life, not that I've stopped evolving because I'm only yeah. 38. So hopefully I will continue to evolve. But when I was in college, remember how judgy I was? And how I was like, I cannot date you, John, because yes. you don't have like, Your you know, you don't know what substitutionary yes. atonement is. Like, please. Like, it was, like I was what? so judgy. He's like, He's like, what's substitutionary? He's <laughs> like, what's atonement? Yeah. And like, I once like, t- like told off a friend who called me because she kept complaining about not being able to find a job. And I was like, my patients are dying of cancer, right? <laughs> like you and your menial problems need to just go over there deal with it yourself like i was so judgy nobody would have wanted to be i don't know how i have friends i was such a pharisee oh it's all so good no, no, but, but 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 you have high social skills that's why you had so many friends well, your no, social so, skills were high enough no i was really really judgy and i feel like that's one of the things i mean like look at apostle yeah. paul like he's such a judgy yep. person you know yep. and he thinks everyone's beneath him um and thankfully by god's grace i'm conforming more <laughs> To the healthy. So, who would version. Jesus be in the Enneagram? Probably all of the good stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I would what love I would to say. know who Jesus would. Because, because, could you imagine? Like, I'm glad they don't say you're like Jesus. Because if that was it, that everyone would want to go for that Enneagram number. Because everyone, I wants feel to be like, like Jesus, Jesus probably carries every single good Enneagram. Yeah. Yes. Because you know yes. he's God, and we're all yes. just little like okay. Again, yes. not to make this too spiritual, but I feel like you know, you know, how, like God created us in His image, but yes. God is so infinite good yes. that one person cannot reflect all of his goodness so that's why i feel like there's all these these different like not that it's like eight or nine types but mm. all of all of us are like different variations of the goodness of god yeah. um and that's why i feel like jesus cannot just be one because jesus is god and so he probably has like all of the good manifestations of god yeah this is my theory on the enneagram and yeah. how it relates to jesus yeah. Well, we listen, cannot put him in a box. We cannot, we cannot put, put him, him in a box. box. Okay, you're hilarious. All right. So uh, speaking of Enneagrams, um, I think this could be an amazing tool for when you start dating. And that's our topic. 
that's our topic for today. I'm going to just give up on this. I'm not going to even comment on your weird segues. I think it's a great segue. I think if you're dating somebody, you should definitely learn their Enneagram and see how compatible you guys are. You know, whatnot. That would be helpful. Yeah. So so here's what we want to do today. All right. So I'm always trying to find a linkage towards our crazy (laughs) questions and to what we want to talk about. We want to talk about Christian dating. Now, what we don't want to talk about is like, how do you like meet somebody? Because, you know, Sue and I don't have too much experience in that. Uh, you Christianmingle.com. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to dedicate an episode about like, how do you meet people? Because we're not good at that. Because you know, she dated one guy. I dated one gal. And we both got I married. I didn't date one guy. I just, I didn't date oh. one guy. I had boyfriends. Remember oh, all the okay. Daniels? Oh, oh, yeah. But you didn't date all of them. I dated a lot of them. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Interesting. It's very interesting. Okay. You did have game. Well, I, on the other hand, had zero games. So, all right. So listen, we don't have like expertise on that, but at least one of the things we want to do, because there was actually somebody who actually wrote us and they asked if we could have an episode on Christian dating. Like, like when you're in a relationship with somebody, you guys are both Christians. How do we do this Christian thing while we're dating? Right. Excellent. Excellent. Madeline, Uh, by the way. Oh, Madeline. We can't say her last name. Oh, that's right. Just we in cannot. case. But... Oh, shoot. Okay. We got to be careful with that. And I do but, that all the time. But Madeline. But, uh, but Madeline, I just want to thank you so much for uh, encouraging us to do an episode like this because I think she wanted us, she wanted to hear our thoughts about how do we, how do we date someone within a Christian way, right? And I think that's an important thing. And that's something I think Sue and I do have experience on, even though we only, I only dated one person. She dated a few, but she dated John. How long, how long did I you didn't, date John? Hold on. I didn't know that you literally only dated Jenny. That's that she's my first and last girlfriend. First and last girlfriend. Again, this is what happens when you have zero game, Sua. I had zero game. Did Jenny ever date before you? Nope. So you guys are each other's firsts. First. Yeah. Hmm. So, but we dated for six and a half years. Yeah. What you lacked in um, quantity. Well, you made up and <laughs> you, you, you can't you can't connect those two no, together. You're trying no. to encourage me, but you just realize epic no. fail right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. OK, so we're not going to talk about how do you start dating? How do you meet people? That's I don't know how to do that well. And <laughs> Sua, you know, she might know how to do it better. No, no. But we but we want to talk about how do we date within a Christian way? Because I think some of you are actually dating right now. You're 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 into dating. New Year's coming up. You're thinking about, well, if you're single, you're thinking, well, I'd like to date somebody this year. Okay. Well, so if you start dating somebody, start you're in a relationship, what are some of the things that we can do? Like what are some of the things that we can do while we're dating where we can be in a healthy place, but at the same time that we can, you know, we can also um be in a healthy relationship. So that's what we want to talk about today. I don't know how much we have. You know, I don't know how much we're going to be able to share. But any thoughts that you have, Sua, about Christian dating? I once read a book by my boyfriend Timothy Keller, um, and he talks he about a book about dating, marriage. Oh yeah, yeah. But he does. Marriage. He did a seminar, and he talked about how somebody asked asked him once, like about the book when he was on tour. They asked him, like, how, what are some biblical examples of dating? And he was like. I'll tell you, there are no biblical examples of dating. There was no such thing as dating yeah. in the Old Testament. Um, I mean, and like I said, I think I said this in a previous episode, like it's so not helpful because I don't have a, you know, I don't have a servant that I can send to go find yeah. you know, a husband for me. You know what I'm saying? Like yep, the yep. way that the Old Testament um, fathers or whomever met their spouses is so not relevant yeah. in many ways to the way we can find so yep. I want to throw the question back to you. Like, is there such a thing as biblical dating? 
Well, I mean, the traditional way is kind of like what you and I were taught in the church, right? We taught, we were taught, hey, you know, like just don't have sex, right? And that's it. As long as you don't have sex, you're fine. And I think that's all pretty much what the church kind of is only fo- is only focused on. And, you know, like, because in the in, in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, you know, there was this betrothal period, right? And a lot of times, you know, it wasn't, there was like no dating. People just, it was like, People met and they ended up getting married, you know, but then they go through this betrothal process. A lot of times the parents are really involved in 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 who they marry and so forth because, you know, with the lineage and all that kind of stuff. And so those are all important, right? So I don't know. I think there's just a lot of different, uh, there, there's not a lot, but I think we can still gain some things. And I think from just from some experience, um, things I've learned and, you know, I've since then, you know, like a big, large number or percentage of our church are actually single and 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 a, a percentage of them are actually in relationships and so i've been able to counsel over the years with you know people who are dating and as they will go through like the ups and the downs and stuff like that so we're not talking about how do you date but we're talking about like yeah how do you how do you have a boyfriend and a girlfriend and still have god in the picture of it right because sometimes that can be a hard thing so and i think you and john did a pretty good job in trying to do that you know while you guys were dating and, uh, you know, and likewise with myself and Jenny, I don't think I did as good a job as you because I think I was just an emotional wreck. And so I, you know, I was, I had a lot of issues and, and all that stuff, but I think I did my best. The one thing I, I think, why are you laughing? No, it, you're just painting such like a, like I'm was, thinking of the bad Enneagram eight. And I like, was a, I, yes, I was a boy, you know, like, like, so like I say this sometimes, it's like when, when Jenny married me, I, I wasn't a man, I was a boy, you know, so I, I had to grow up. You know, I really have to grow up. So I wasn't necessarily like, honestly, I don't think I was great with dating material, right? I mean, I love, I love Jesus and I try my best, but I, I didn't understand emotional health at that time. And I was still pretty emotionally unhealthy because I had so much baggage, you know, that I had to bring into the relationship. So I think that was that was the hardest thing. So anyway, here are some of my thoughts that I have. And again, you know, we're not experts here, you know, and so I think it's it's a, it's an important, you know, preface for us well, to say something Well, we're not like experts, but I will say that, um, I think we bring a very unique perspective because yeah. I don't, I think when you're dating, you don't know, like you're in the, uh, I don't know how to, okay. So the, the things you look for in a partner when you're yeah. dating are not necessarily the same qualities that make your marriage happier when you're yes. actually married. Good. Like there, there's overlap but they're not the same. So I think we do bring a unique perspective as people who've already been married as to like what you should be actually valuing in your dating. Yeah. Okay, go. Henry Henry Cloud does say that you're not going to know that until you date multiple people. Like he actually, he actually, you know, he's a counselor. He's a, he wrote a book called, you know, um, how to keep a date worth keeping. And his theory is that, you know, before you get into a really committed relationship, it's important that you give yourself a minimum of, you know, six months to date as many people as you want at the same time. Okay, but I think and, you should define date. Yeah, date is just hang out. Hang out. So like so like you know, like so like my daughter is my da- oldest daughter is twenty one and she is single. And like I wouldn't mind if she said to me, Dad, you know what? For the next six months, I'm just going to meet guys, hang out, you know, maybe go out for a coffee. And just connect and just kind of get to know, like, what am I really looking for in a guy, right? And what he says, he says, actually, that he says that there's a danger because sometimes, like, what women and men do is, like, 
they'll say, I'll marry anyone that's not like my father or like my mother who was very dysfunctional, maybe, right? They grew up and they marry somebody completely opposite of their parent or, or their mother or father. And so, you know, they go in thinking that way but then at the reality they're realizing like oh no 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 no, that was actually wrong it's like yeah i don't want to marry some that don't have some personality traits like my parents but i also want to be in a relationship with somebody that i would love to have them love me in a certain way right and so henry says that you're not going to really know that until you actually start dating around and really understand what is it that you really want right so like what i did you know didn't really he would not recommend what you did sua he probably wouldn't recommend either but it worked out for us. And we're just grateful for that. But I think part of that is like, yeah, like you just said, just because you're dating someone, you like them, doesn't mean that you're actually going to, they're going to be good, you know, husband or wife, you know, kind of Funny material story. Um, yeah. When I was in college, I was giving one of my guy friends advice because he was like trying to figure out if he had a friend who he really liked, but he couldn't figure out if they would be good together as like romantic partners. Yeah. And my English is kind of, my English is good, but sometimes like I mess up certain words because it's not it's my third language so i what i meant to say to this particular friend was why don't you like feel it out and see how it goes but instead i told him to feel her up <laughs> like what wait wait wait, like, wait what you actually said why don't you feel her up and figure it out <laughs> oh my goodness I feel it just... out no your english is not that bad you just you just it was just a tongue tie moment you just I was like yeah tongue. why don't you i think you just need to feel her up and figure out if this is what you want <laughs> It's like okay, why not then? Done. Oh, Challenge goodness. accepted. Okay. Anyways. So so here's 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 there's just some practical tips. So like I try to tell you know like people in our church and so forth if they're dating and that's great. So we're again we're not talking about how do you find a date, but this is really how do you date somebody that you're actually growing in affection towards. Uh, the first thing I just want to say is this: slow down, like slow down, like stop thinking about marriage right away and all that kind of stuff. And I think some couples just they just it's it's like they're dating like three, four months and they're already thinking about marriage. And I think you're crazy if you do that. And there's something unhealthy about it. I think you just want to get to know somebody, um, get to know them. And it's I don't care how old you are because you don't want to make a big mistake, but you got to just kind of slow it down. And it's important for you to slow it down, all right, in, in that relationship. So I encourage I you to do like that. I feel like that's hard though. I'm not, I don't want to be the devil's advocate here, um, but I think that's easy. Why is that hard? Okay, when I was dating John and I was 20 yeah. years old, yeah, it was very unnatural for me, I guess, to be thinking about, not that it wasn't a thought in my mind yeah. that this could potentially be my future husband, but it's much easier to not think about imminent marriage yeah. when you're 20 yeah. versus if you're like 30, 35, 40, I feel like it's really difficult to not be dating with the possibility of marriage. No, I, I, don't, I don't think, I, I really don't think like that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying okay. that when you are in a marriage, when you're in a relationship, just don't jump the can I I want to marry this person right away. Because if you do that, um, you're in big trouble. You're in really big trouble because you know, like you and I both know this, so it's better to be single than to be married to a really dysfunctional person. No, right? Because they will ruin your life. Hundred percent. Like ruin your yeah. life. All right. Yeah. So don't don't do that. And and one of the things I always tell our single folks is I say, you know, um, see them at their worst, like at their very worst, and just say to yourself, can I live with that person every single day of my life? 
if that if that's what's going to happen and you got to be able to say yes or no you know to that and if it's a yes then go for it but if it's a no then you should probably not be in that relationship okay so those are some of the warning signs but i don't want to really do that here's here's the thing that i kind of want to talk about is this i i one of the things i want to encourage christian couples that are dating is this you got to have a life outside of your boyfriend and girlfriend like i think that's really important because sometimes i find that there are couples that are dating and like all they spend every moment of their time together and you need to have space you need to have friends you need to have a life outside of your you know boyfriend or girlfriend they can't just be your all-consuming you know person and everything that you do socially i think what that happens then you it, what happens is that you, you kind of have like this vacuum in your heart and you expect that dating this person will fulfill like that missing you know hole that's in your heart and it just can't, no matter who you meet, they're not going to fulfill that hole that's in your heart. And I think you really need to have a life outside of your boyfriend and your girlfriend. That's important. That's healthy that you have that, that you have other friends and that you connect and you go on vacation and other things like that, that you're just not going to be all consumed with this person that you're dating and that everything you do is there. And then you forget about all your friends. I think that's unhealthy. What do you think about that, Sua? I completely agree. Unfortunately, I do think it's something that happens very frequently. Um, oh, very frequently. Where the expectation is now, this person is my everything, and every yes. activity that I do has yes. to include this person. And that's unhealthy. It's very unhealthy. And yes. I will tell you, it's beyond just unhealthy. Um, it actually makes it... Okay, sorry. I don't want to like take away from your point, but it kind of goes with something that I've thought was very important. I'm not I'm not here to say I did everything well in my dating life. Yeah. But I will say the one thing that I did do very well was I was always very discerning about whether or not this was the person I wanted to marry. And I yeah. think going back to the initial point that you said, it's very important to discern both through prayer, through reading the Bible, through asking God, through talking to your friends, talking to your parents sometimes even if they're good judges yes. of character, whether this person actually is a good partner for Come you. Come on, Sua. That's what but I'm talking about. The problem about. is that it becomes very difficult to gauge that yes. if yes. a you've already decided that I'm I can't be wasting any more time so this person is it like That's this it. is it then That's and b if your person becomes everything in your life then there, there's just too much to lose for you so you're yes. al already giving them a lot of passes like you're already lowering yeah. the bar for yourself yeah. and that is very very dangerous because you're going to miss dangerous. a lot of red flags or you're going to be willing to overlook the red flags so, because you so, have a goal in mind. So to all of our ladies listening, I want and you men. To, yeah. Oh, you got one more? Oh no, no. I'm, I'm talking about the ladies for now. Oh, Just okay. Ladies. Okay. If you're listening and you're dating right now, a man, all right, and it's sort of in that beginning stage, you have questions. Email Sua. Oh. Right. I think honestly, what you just share shared is so important. So it's kind of like this image, like like if I brought, like say I brought a car and I said, hey, to my friend, what do you think about this car? They're not going to give me great feedback. They're going to just say, oh, no, you know what? It's nice. You made a good choice. But if I go to them and say, listen, I'm thinking about buying this yes. car. What is the Such feedback you have? Should I buy this car? And they're like, "Uh, no, dude, because that car, if you get into an accident, yeah. whatever car has a history of Such this, a this, good this, that. analogy. And I, I think that's the problem. If you're dating somebody early on, introduce them to your family. Introduce them to some of your friends that you really trust and say, can I get some feedback? Can I get some feedback on what you think? And honestly, really, like, just say, like, I really want to know because, you know, this could be, I'm thinking about maybe getting serious. I don't know if I should, but I just want to know. 
I think that's one of the best things you can do. And you just yeah. said that. So yeah. I think it really is because when you don't want that kind of feedback, that might be something that's like unhealthy about you that is not willing to solicit input and feedback from people that you love and care for and who know you really well. Right. But it's all, it's almost impossible for even your friends and family. Well, maybe your family might say it, but for your friends to give you real feedback, if you say, I'm in love with this person, I'm going to marry this person. Yeah. Like, they're amazing. I want you to meet them. And then they go, well, what do you think? Yeah. Like, of course yeah. you're going to be like, well, you've already made the decision. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they seem like pretty nice, you know, and stuff. So right. you got to really early on, if you, if you're dating early on, it's important to find people that will give you that kind of feedback, you know, and stuff. And also like, if maybe like, you're like, well, that doesn't help me. I'm dating a guy for like one or two years or a girl for one or two years. Well, yeah, I still think you can get feedback, but at the same time, I think it's important that you guys have separate lives at some level. You have your friends, she has her friends, you guys could co-mingle with friends here and there, but like you guys can't, your worlds just can't be each other all the time, 24-7. That's not going to be healthy. And I think that's a really, really good thing for you to do. So yeah, Sue, that was excellent advice. Um, Can I throw a little angle here? What, throw the angle. Um, no, I'm, I have a question for you. Oh, okay. How does that play out though, if you're in a long distance relationship man this might just be my conservativeness i just think it's so hard to be in a long distance relationship and i think it is difficult um to do that well i think it's not going to be hard if you're in a long distance relationship because you're going to have a life outside of your you know of, of your girlfriend or boyfriend because if you're living far away you're not going to be able to see them with regularity so you're they're not going to consume you in every way so i think that's going to be an easy you know an easy an easy fix for you because you'll have your life she will have her life and you guys will kind of live it and then you'll get together whenever, you know, whenever you guys can. Uh, can long distance relationships work? I'm sure they can. I'm sure it has. But, you know, my own experience and I don't know, Sue, do you know anyone who's actually had long distance relationships and then they'll get married? Has it ever really worked out well? I don't have one example of that. I do. Um, I do. <laughs> one is not the greatest example because this was literally from like the 1970s where these two people were writing each other letters and then they got married, but they were actually very happy together. Did um, you know them? You know them? They were my youth pastor. One of, The lady was my youth pastor. But the other one is more um, because they're, they met through like they met through online dating. So they just happened to be in different cities. Okay. Um, and it did work out. However, I do think that there are very specific, unique challenges to long distance dating um, that I guess I don't personally yeah. have any experience with. You know, yeah. I was just wondering if you had any advice for, because I know people, especially with the advent of online dating, um, we're not just meeting yeah. people like at the laundromat or like sure. at the restaurant. Like we yeah. are really meeting people geographically in different areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, yeah, what? it's it's different now because you uh, we can do you can get on Zoom right you can get on Google Meet you can get on you know uh, FaceTime and and connect with people so I I know I know there's technology has helped it tremendously, um, but there is that you know uh, oh this is a great analogy this is a great analogy there is the in the flesh that's really important you know you know how we had episode <laughs> you know how we talked about a couple episodes ago about um, you know uh, virtual church versus real church. Mm -hmm. like you just keep going virtually, you know, and stuff, but you're not going to really grow. You got to sort of be in the flesh. And I think that's the same thing with dating. Yeah, you can meet with people and connect and stuff and see somebody, you know, and, and do this online thing. But if you're not going to actually meet them with some level of regularity, like in the flesh, I don't think the relationship has a chance. But yeah, I think you got to give it a shot. And you know, I don't I don't know how much advice I don't I have really very little advice on that. I, all, all the thing, only thing I could say is that you will have an opportunity to live separate lives because of your distance. So I think that's a healthy thing. And when you get together and if you decide to ever get married, 
I encourage you guys to continue to try to live, you know, not completely separate lives, but to have a life outside of just yourselves. That's really healthy. You should have a set of friends. You know, uh, the your your spouse should have a set of friends, and that you guys can connect and do trips alone without each other and stuff like that. And I think that's really healthy. That when you can do that in a dating relationship, because so many couples I see like. Everything goes out the window once they're dating. Like it has to be complete, one hundred percent allegiance to this person I'm dating, to my boyfriend or girlfriend, and I really can't like go out and hang out with the boys and you know and play golf and stuff like that. I just gotta now be with this person all the time, otherwise they're gonna get angry. That's that's a vacuum that you have in your heart, and uh, it's 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 unhealthy, and no one can ever fill that except for God. And you're expecting a man or a woman to do that. And that's just not going to be healthy. So that would be my encouragement. The other thing that I would say, Sua, is I think Christian. one of the big things with Christian dating is people ask, how far can I go? How it's, far can it's, I go? It's like a perennial question that comes up all the time. Yeah, Even how when far I was can I go sexually? Group, was... And I'm sure you know this is something that our Christian listeners are going to want to know. Like, how far can I go? sexually with the person that I'm dating, right? And listen, I've heard that question asked to me by pastors, okay? Yeah. Uh, young pastors, all right? Young pastors that are dating, like, Peter, how far can I go? You know, and I always give them the answer that I thought was the best answer. And it was it was written in a book called Real Sex by Lauren Winner. And I thought it was the best advice I ever read on it. If you're dating somebody, fantastic. And of course, you're going to want to get physically intimate with them. Why would it's part? It's a nat, it's a natural desire that God's given to us, right? But here's what she says. She says what you need to do is you need to make sure that you you only get physically intimate when you're actually out in public, as opposed to in private, like at your apartment or something like that. And so she says, find a place where you guys choose where you guys are choosing to be physically intimate. And that is the place where you should be physically intimate. That should be a public place. So like at a mall, you know, places like that where people will see you, you know, whatever it is. And for her, she said in her book, it was the Lincoln, um, the Washington Monument because she lived in D.C. And that she and her boyfriend would go there and they would kiss and make out and stuff like that. But they're not going to take their clothes off and have sex and all that kind of stuff. But they're still going to be intimate. But and so what, what is the spaces. what is her logic in that? Because if you do it in private, you're going to end up having sex. So, you know, her, I, so yeah. okay, hold on. So, but I don't know if that's necessarily answering the question directly, because I guess I think when people ask how far can one go without breaking the commandment or, you know, still being faithful to God's, I yeah. think that what they're asking is they want a specific base. I don't know. Do kids still speak in terms of bases? Like, I think they want, like, I don't necessarily yeah. think what they want is like, like a general, oh, whatever you would do whatever you wouldn't do in public, don't do in the bedroom. And I'm I'm yeah. guessing, I haven't read the book, but I'm guessing the point there is that there's a high risk that you will not stop where you're supposed to stop if you do it in your own private, private. area. Yeah. So therefore do it in public where you're already putting a boundary on yes. that, that you would not cross. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but to go back to the original question, is there a very specific base that you think they sh like should not cross. Like for example, I'm going to be very real here. Mm. When I was growing up, oral sex was termed yep. Christian sex. Yeah, because we yep. were told that. Oh no, I, I've, I've heard young pastors say that too. Yep. As yep. long as it's not intercourse, yep. it's yep. all allowed, yep. right? And so I feel like that answer is great, but I don't think it really gets to the 
meat of what people are asking yeah. when they say, how far can one go? So so here's what Lauren would say. She would say, if you think having oral sex in public is okay and you're open to doing it, then do it. It's fine. That's 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 what she would say in her book. That's if you met if we interviewed her right now, she would say, if you think having sex in public, like in the mall, is okay, then go for it. That's fine. But do so, whatever you're comfortable doing in public. So basically the answer, and I'm 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 keep honing in because I think yeah. we have to be very specific when we talk about yeah. these things. There's so, so much like wiggle room to interpret yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um basically. I guess her point is that anything you would not do in public is under the umbrella of sex. Yes. And when the Bible says, do not have sex until you're married or only within the confines yep. of like a marriage, yep. anything that you would not do in public falls under the umbrella Yes. of sex. Yes. Yes. That's yes. what she would say. That's what she would say. So she would say, if, if you're comfortable having oral sex in public, like at a mall, then and you know some people would, sex. but okay, hold yeah, on. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, but so, as a Christian, so like there's a boundary there. So of course, I would say or, like oral sex is not permissible in a dating relationship, right? You shouldn't be having oral sex, right? Uh, kissing, yeah, that ha you know you can kiss and you can kiss. I think kissing is there, uh, but I think anything where it requires you know genitalia in, in that sense of like you know touching or you know whatever, I think you have to just be careful with it, you know. I'm but gonna... in public. Yeah. Okay. So, um, because I have two young daughters and I think often about how to frame this dialogue, which I have started. Um, but I think the conversation will continue to evolve and as things become more relevant to them. Um, when I was growing up and I've shared about this before, the way I was presented the premarital sex thing was don't have sex until you get married. It's a, against mm -hmm. God's law. You There's condemnation for those who have premarital sex. It's bad. Yep. It's bad. It's bad. Um, but the more I'm getting older and the more I see myself in really like in the way I was in a relationship with John and the way I yep. see others engaging in relationships, it's actually much deeper than just if you have sex, it's against God's law and you're breaking a commandment and you're it's condemned like it's worthy of condem condemning like by design when god tells us don't have sex unless you're doing it with a person that you're married to who loves you unconditionally who has entered into this covenant there's something so wise about it Be and what i mean by that is you know what i said earlier about how we once we decide that this person is going to be our husband or our wife yeah. we end up overlooking a lot of things that we normally would not overlook yeah. like the way you set that car analogy about how if you already bought the car like if you've already paid the down payment yep. for this car and you've reserved it, it's you're not as open. Like yep. even if you hear, oh, maybe that gas mileage is not, eh, it's fine. Yep. You're yep. willing yep. to overlook a lot of because you don't want to go through the hassle yeah. of yeah. breaking that. Yep. And what sex does is that it ties you spiritually to a yep. person. Yep. And you and I had a friend who once told me, I have to marry this person because I've already slept with them. Yeah. And I yep. need to now marry them. And yep. in that mindset, you the number of things that you will not be discerning anymore or the yeah. number of things that are going to stick out to you as red flags, but now you're willing to let them go because you've already decided that you've committed to this person. Yeah. It's like, you know, your body has made a promise to this person, whether you want to or not, yep. and now you are joined. So yep. you are going to be willing to overlook so many things. You yeah. know, there was an article 
in the New York Times a few years ago that talked about how, you know, couples who, and this has been actually known for a long time, and they're trying they're trying to figure out why this is true. Now, couples who live together before they get married have a higher chance of divorce yep. than couples who actually don't. And there, yep. there is a variety of reasons that were thrown out. But one of the reasons that they found that they feel like is like the lead reason right now is this whole phenomena of like phenomenon of like you slip into the next phase. So mm-hmm. instead of really intentionally figuring out if this is what you want, you naturally so okay. So when you're dating and you decide you want to live together, it's not as high of a bar as do you want to get married, right? The bar is lower because you're not actually yep. tying each o- yourself yep. to each other forever. This is just like temporary practical arrangement. So yeah. your bar is lower for that. So you're just kind of like, you know what? That's the next logical yep. step. Sure, let's do it. Yep. Then you live together and then you slip into marriage. Yep. Instead of really sitting there thinking, discerning, yep. is this the right person for me? You're yep. like, well, we're already living together. So what's the big deal? Just go to the next step. So you slip into the next yeah. one. and. The researchers, what they're finding is there was never this very discerning period of you, you deciding, is this the right person for me mm. or not? You just kind of slipped into the next stage. Right. And I think that's what happens when you know you decide, you jump the gun and decide this person is my, my husband or wife. When you get rid of all your other social life outside of this person and basically put all of your eggs into this one person's basket. When you have sex, you are letting go of all of your bars and now you're slipping into the next lo- whatever logical yep. step you think it is without yep. really having a period of discernment of is yeah. this the right person for me? You know, because you're willing to overlook so many things. Right. You know? Absolutely. And it, it really is. It's sad because, you know, God created sex. So that means that it's supposed to be absolutely spectacular or amazing. But he created it for marriage, right? And so it should be practiced only within the confines of marriage. And the problem is, you know, like we've in our culture is that sex has become an idol, right? We worship sex. And so it becomes more important than God. And we do what our bodies want to do. And we go for it and and all those things. I'm not saying those desires are bad because they're fine. They're given to us by God. But there has to be some level of understanding that if I wait till I get married, right? And now I know there's, I know because I've I've done a lot of marriage counseling. I know there's some Christians that said, well, Peter, I've waited. And guess what? Sex sucks with my spouse. I wish I would have tried it because if I tried it, I would have never married them, Hmm. right? So that's happened before with me. And uh, and I've had to sit across a room and talk to married couples like that. And they're just saying that sex sucks. I hate, we don't, we can't please each other. And so it's, it's like, oh my goodness. Like, oh my God. And, you know, I've had, I had, I've had many instances where I've heard that and they're saying, that's why I don't believe in premarital sex. Like, I don't believe saving yourself. I believe in having premarital sex because I think that's the only way you're going to determine whether you're sexually compatible with this person or not. Well, what that does then is this, that makes the crux of your marriage just about sex, which I think is really sad, right? It becomes just for, I mean, it's great that we can have sex and sex is a big part of marriage. It can be, and it's an opportunity to get closer and all that stuff. But when we just, you know, when we just think of it like that, then it just becomes the end all and be all. There's so much more that we can enjoy our spouse with than just sex. And I think it really puts it in a real small kind of category there. And so we have to be careful with that. And so there's so many different camps, but the thing is that God created sex. And I really believe if you wait till you get married and you have a, you have a spouse that is open and you guys are open to exploring how we can get more intimate. It is so good. It is so rich compared to like, you know, you having sex 
with multiple people before you get married and and if even if you had premarital sex because then like what do you look forward to when you get married right and and there's this deeper bonding and the one the oneness that comes through having sex and having sexual intercourse is literally the the two become one flesh like the holy spirit father son you know um holy spirit the three become one flesh so i think it is important you know to to wait and i think and i echo and i affirm that it's amazing that these articles study this and they realize that people who live together usually end up in the divorce much higher than folks who don't live together and so these are things that god you know that we already know and the christian faith and yet we continue to violate it and i'm telling you man that happens with christians i know a lot of christian people that are that are dating and they're living together right now and i just think that's crazy like honestly like i know i might be conservative but i think that's crazy that they're just thinking it's okay that we just live together and just like it's not okay. It's not okay to have premarital sex, you know, in that way. So anyway, yeah. So I don't There's, know if that even answers your question. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. But I think you bring up an interesting point about how um, the culture keeps changing. Like the culture keeps shifting. Um, I, but what God calls us to do is very rarely what the culture tells us to do. And I was recently reading a book about um, Christianity and how mm. um, the, so, okay. So in this book, the the author was talking about how when, when Jesus came in the Roman culture, there were t more than 20 words to describe a prostitute and not a single word to describe male virgin because mm. the, a male virgin was not a thing that existed yeah. in their framework. Okay. Yeah. Um, but instead of Jesus coming, and you know, we all know Jesus is like the ultimate feminist, right? So instead of Jesus saying, woman, now you can do as men because we're free and we're equal and you're both the image of mm. God, Jesus said, men, you should only have sex with your wife. Yep. And that was extremely countercultural. Oh, oh, very countercultural. Where the disciples were like, very what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, very. and I think yep. um, very rarely is the way that God calls us to. Um, what we logically think should make sense. Mm. Like, to be honest, it makes sense. Like, test drive a car, test drive your wife. Like, yep. what if you don't like how she rides? I mean, sorry for yep. the horrible pun. But, um, <laughs> that's, a, that's but, a pretty like, good pun, though. But No, yeah. but, like, right. you know what I mean? Like, it makes logical sense. Like, yeah, yeah, live, test out living with your partner before marriage. It makes total logical sense. But I think God created us and i think this is what was missing in the way i was educated in the church about dating and sex and all these things it's not about god putting these hoops in front of us so that we if we jump through them yeah. and meet his goal then he will bless us with a happy marriage like yep. that is not how god why god is telling us to do these things it's always because he wants the best for us and he knows how he created us and we were yes. literally designed by god so he knows yep. exactly what will optimize our marriage. And so when God says, don't have sex, it's not because he's like, well, let's see how you do. And if you can yeah. do this crazy task, then I will bless you. It's because he's like, listen, this is the way that you will have the best discernment and not be distracted. And you know, your discernment will not be muddled. I love yeah. these other things you will really be able to see and then it'll be this beautiful thing and you will have ultimate happiness the way i designed it you know mm. i really think um when i see my friends dating or previously i've seen my friends dating the biggest key is like there's so many things that muddle our discernment in terms of like is this the right person you yeah. know okay i have a question for you do you think compatibility is a real thing like when people say i'm just not we're just not compatible 
Like, what do you think about that? Sorry, I'm all over the place. I, but I'm I, going I don't, somewhere. I don't, I don't think it's a real thing. I think it because I don't think you have to be completely compatible in every way. Because I mean, man, me and my wife are so different as people. <laughs> we're like almost the complete opposites of everything. And uh, the only thing I think we have in common is that we're both introverted, but we're very different, you know, in so many different ways. And it really works because there's synergy, you know, in differences. Differences actually can bring a lot of synergy in a relationship. Um, you know, I do think the biggest thing is this, like there's your values have to be in sync, right? If your values are not in sync, then I think it's going to be really difficult for you to to pursue somebody in, in a relationship. So like a value is faith. If you, you know, that's why like, if, if, if the person you married doesn't believe, if Jesus is very important to you and the person who you're dating right now doesn't really think Jesus is very important, um, you really have to be careful uh, because that's a value and you're going to have very different values as you're married. You're going to have very different values as you have, you know, children and things like that. I think that's huge. You know, it's, 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 it's really huge. So I think your values have to be aligned uh, in order for a relationship to be really good. I don't think you have to be completely compatible, you know, like that, that we just did the Enneagram, right? You could be a completely different personality than another person, but as long as your values line up, I think that's, that's the best. So That's then the what thing. would you say if somebody said to you, what is the one non-negotiable thing that under any circumstance, yeah. like I should really be sure about, or like, yeah. this is the one thing that you yeah. really need, like we should really be looking for in a partner. Because yeah. if you're saying compatibility is kind of a myth, right? And it's overrated. Um, there's got to be something, right? So you're saying you think it's values is what you're saying? Values is huge. Yeah, I think values is really huge because um, if you guys don't align in values, then it's just going to be very difficult, you know. And I don't, I don't know of any marriage that's healthy that where the couples have different values, you know. And I would say like you and your your husband, you know, you guys probably have very similar values, um, you know, and in the ways and how you feel like ch your children should be raised in your relationship and all that kind of stuff. I think value is just really, really important. Uh, but I would say the most important thing is actually you got to find somebody who the non the one non-negotiable for me is this. You got to find somebody who loves Jesus. That's that's mm -hmm. to me the non-negotiable. If you can't find somebody who loves Jesus, um, you better hope that that person is incredibly emotionally healthy because if they're not, they will destroy your life. You know, because I think the only reason like when I look at my life, oof, man, like, you know, and I'm not trying to exaggerate this, but I was an emotional wreck. But the only thing that got me through all of that was, you know, um, I was able to really, I love Jesus. So I want to grow. I just want to keep growing. And one of the things I think that we can do as we're dating somebody and you're kind of in that process of like, oh man, is this person the right person for me? I would just ask yourself, like, are they growing? Like, have you seen them grown from mm, the first day you met them till now? Especially yeah. if like, you know, you've been dating for years. And if they have not grown at all, and they're the exact same person when you first met them, you should probably consider not marrying them, especially if, if you don't like the kind of person they are, you want them to grow. Because every person, like your marriage will only be as good as the willingness of how much your spouse is willing to grow and how much you're willing to grow and change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if they're not willing to grow and change. So one of the ways in how you can ask that, uh, how you can evaluate that is this, are they open to your feedback? Are they ever open to your feedback about them? It's a good one. Or, or do they like get very defensive and yell and get angry? Are you scared to share how you're really feeling about them? 
like if you're afraid of that and you're afraid like you know like if i share this with them like there's there, this could be bad for the relationship you probably shouldn't marry like you probably should even consider marrying them you should be careful because you want to make sure you have an intimate relationship with somebody your spouse it should be intimate it's not just physically and and and, and i think that's the well we'll get to that later but i think you know, it's got to be more emotionally, and that's the that's the uh, that's the connection that I think really allows a couple to go deeper is when they can really emotionally connect in that way. But if you're not willing to share stuff, you know, with each other, you know, I think I think that's really hard. You know, I think that's really hard, and the person probably isn't someone that you should marry. You know, but if the person is open, or right, even if you're not compatible with them, but they're open to hearing and listening, um, I think that's great, and I think that's a that's a that's that's a potential real keeper. Uh, you know, if you're if you're dating this person, but I do think that that's important. As you're dating right now, if you're a Christian person, you're dating. I think you guys need to start being open to feedback because mm -hmm. you know your boyfriend much better than I think the boyfriend knows himself, and you know your girlfriend much better than I think the girlfriend knows herself. So I think you guys should be open. Like, hey, what are some things you think I need to change to be better? I think those are important questions. Seeing if they're willing to even receive that. So I think that's a real key thing. So anyway, that would be my suggestion on that in Christian dating. I think that's so good. Um, the whole the thing about the growth, but also the willingness to be open to feedback, which go hand in hand. Obviously, they're not like right. two separate things. Um, is so good. Um, because like you said, you know, on one hand, we don't marry our partners expecting that they will change because, like you said earlier, you see them at their worst and yep. you have to be able to live with that for the if they never change, you should be yeah. okay. But at the same, but simultaneously, um, if that person is in Jesus. There's no way that person is not going to continue to change yeah. because we are, con you yep. know, constantly transforming into the image of Jesus, right? So, like, yeah. um, I think that's so good. I think I will go with yours as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, think about think about your life five years from now if you're dating, right? Think about your life five years from now, where you want to be, what you're hoping to see. Like, do you really feel like the boyfriend or girlfriend you're dating now? is matching up or they can kind of live in that world that you see for yourself in five years, you know, are they even, or is it just going to be like what you're living right now with that person? Like in terms of like how you're living and how you're relating to each other, you know, if it's just going to be like, I don't think my, my boyfriend or girlfriend is ever going to really change. That's dangerous. Cause you want to marry somebody who's open to growing and learning because intimacy cannot happen unless there's that type of growth. And I think that's really key, you know, so have a life outside of your girlfriend, boyfriend, invite, your friends early into the relationship that you have with this person and get feedback from them, which yeah. I think is excellent, yeah. excellent, you know, uh, thing. And, uh, and just, you know, ask yourself, is my boyfriend growing? Have, have they grown since the first time I met them? Has my girlfriend really grown since the first time I met them? Are they still the same, you know, kind of dysfunctional self? Are they actually growing? If you haven't seen them grown, um, you're not really helping them to grow. And then the marriage is probably, it's already, the writing's already on the wall. When you get married, it's probably going to be the same thing. And you're just going to have to be really careful with that. But I think the only non-negotiable for me would be like, they they can't say that they're a Christian because again, there are a lot of Christians out there. You got to marry somebody who actually loves Jesus. There's a very di big difference between loving Jesus and saying that you're a Christian, mm -hmm. right? You got to be open to marrying somebody who loves Jesus because I think that's probably the only hope where somebody will actually really change. And I think, you know, the sex thing, it's very important in a marriage. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Sue and I, we talk about that all the time, but it should never be the idol in your marriage. You know, like your whole marriage shouldn't just be about sex. And I think sex is important, but there's more deeper things 
that you can encounter in your relationship with your spouse than just sex. Sex is great, but there's deeper levels of intimacy that you can go with your spouse that doesn't have to just be sex. And that's the fun stuff. That's the stuff you guys can explore and learn and grow and also just, you know, and and also enjoy each other physically as well. So anyway, yeah. So I don't know how much that helps, but yeah, any other thoughts you have, Sua, before we wrap up? Um, I'm gonna try to articulate this in a way that makes sense, but I have oh, like yeah. a jumble of thoughts. Oh yeah, go for it. I love thoughts. it when you. I love no, it no, when no. you pontificate. No, no, no. I'm not gonna pontificate. It's more, um, you know, I think a lot of times when you're dating, um, marriage is kind of the end goal. Like that's what you're shooting for, right? Like the goal mm-hmm. of dating is to get married. Um, and I know this sounds so cliche. But you're really just starting. Like when you get married, yeah. like you're literally just starting at that yeah. point. Like that's your starting line, not your finish line. And yeah. um, you know, I was I was reading this book for my Bible study for my small group study recently, and they were talking about the uh, the writer was talking about um how when you ask when you ask somebody like how is your walk with Jesus like how has your journey with Jesus been, and all they could tell you is a time when they like accepted Jesus. Like that's all they can tell you is like, Oh, well, when I was 17, I went to this retreat and I saw Jesus, you know, as a vision. And that's when I accepted, but they're 50 years old now. And that's what they keep referring back to. Yeah. Yeah. That should be a red flag. Right. Because it's like, that was when you got married, but what has happened since then in your journey? How Mm. have you guys grown together and individually? Like, and I feel like it's the same thing as like, you know, any person that accepts Jesus and then actually loves Jesus and wants to live that out in their lives, there will be Metro's mission right there, like transformation. There will be transformation. It's inevitable, you know? And so in the same way, like when you get married, like that is your beginning and Mm -hmm. it's not the goal. It's the beginning. And that's when you guys are going to individually love Jesus and continue to evolve and transform into the likeness of Jesus. Yes. Um, and it's a journey that you're going to go on together. And it, like you said, if you if one person is unwilling to grow and really follow after Jesus, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know, and so it's you're not. so right. Like that is such a non-negotiable. It, it's it's everything. And that's what I just kind of tell my kids, you know, like especially because my daughters, all of them, even my son, I mean, they're in that age now where they want to date, right? And all three of them. And so I just say, you know, you really need to find somebody who loves Jesus because mm-hmm. that's really the only way uh, I think that any relationship will have a chance. And then the other, other thing I, I always say to them is this, and I don't know if it'll help you, especially those who are not early dating right now, just ask them how the relationship is with their parents. And if it's incredibly dysfunctional, like mine was, <laughs> you may want to reconsider because the person's got a lot of work to do oh, because you don't are- say- that oh it's hard it's gonna I, be no, really I know, but, difficult but what a, but that's so not i mean there's a part of me that seems like that's so not fair i think you to, just have to be well for my kids and for I, anyone who i love and care for i'll just say because i've seen so many cases where you know lives have been so deeply hurt and and impacted negatively because of that and i just think you just have to be very very careful and you want to just make sure that they you know the, the more emotionally healthy they are uh in their state of dating you um, will just be a great sort of a, a blessing for you as you're dating, especially as you get married. That's a huge, huge thing. But if it's, if it's very dysfunctional, you're going to have to be careful and you just have to know that those are, those are things you got to be careful of. So that's what you I would know, say. Like, um, sorry, uh, ending note. Remember when you told that story 
I think it was on the podcast where you told that story about how somebody asked your wife, Jenny, for marriage advice. And she was basically <laughs> like, well, we get into a fight and then he wakes up early the next day and then he prays. And then Jesus is like, go apologize to Jenny. And then he apologizes and then we're good. Like that yeah. was kind of like the That's way exactly. you guys yep. Yep. Um, resolve conflict. And it's it's funny, but also um, it's kind of actually deep because it's not Jenny who's trying to change you. Right. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I think that's where we get stuck is like, if you love me, you should be able yeah. to do this. If you really care about me, you should do this. But in yeah. that story, no matter how much Jenny tries to challenge you or convict you, you're never going to apologize. But in yeah. the, it was God and your relationship with Jesus and your love for Jesus that made you feel like, you know what, maybe in this instance, like he mm -hmm. illuminated to you yeah. something new and you changed. But it wasn't from Jenny. It was from God. Yeah. And I yep. think um, that's why, again, it's so important what you said about like, you have to meet. And that's why I don't want to, I feel so like not right about saying like, if you, your boyfriend or girlfriend has like a jacked up family, like watch out. Like it's true. It's completely yeah, true. But simultaneously, I don't think it's hopeless. I think no. it really depends on how willing they are to be open to God's feedback and other people's yes. feedback. And yes. um, it's not like there's a chance if they love Jesus. Doom yeah, for and gloom. Sure. It's not yeah, doom and chance. gloom. How can yeah, you say then, that? Look at you. You're such a hypocrite. Well, it's because <laughs> I love Jesus. That's the only reason why it changed. No, I know. At the end but of the like, day, you otherwise, say, like, I'd be emotional you wreck, man. Reconsider it. I think you need to reconsider it. I'm serious. And I'm just saying it as somebody who 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 is through experience. But here's the other thing I will say, and and this might be very offensive, but I hope it's not. Sue, if it is, forgive me ahead of time. But sometimes people have the Messiah complex when they date somebody mm -hmm. and you have to be careful. You want to save somebody and that's why you're dating that person. And that is not a husband or a wife for you. That is your project. And that is you trying to fulfill a Messiah complex. You cannot do that. Your spouse has to be someone that you are not going to change or you're hoping to change because you're not Jesus. You're not God. Only yeah. God can do that. Yeah. You're called to be their lover. You're called to be their spouse one day uh, and do that, but you're never called to save them. And I think that's another unhealthy part of people and, and just in general, it doesn't have to be Christians or not, but they have this Messiah complex hoping that they can find somebody that they can fix. And you don't want to be in that place and you certainly don't want you know, to 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 think that you can actually fool yourself that you can change somebody like that because it's just never going to happen. So I would just uh, encourage you and warn you from that, and uh, you know, and just be careful as you are dating and as you are connecting with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or you're thinking about doing that or what whatnot. So, yes. Anything else, Sua, before we that close? That was a lot of different topics that we broke. That was like a lot of hour. different topics. And and um, we apologize <laughs> if it made no sense, but we hope it did. And if you have any comments, any thoughts, we'd love to hear back from you. But, you know, Christian dating isn't easy. We hope that it will, uh, this can be of some resource to you. And we love your feedback. We also would love it if you could share with people. If you're getting anything out of this podcast, share with your friends and family. Uh, encourage them to listen. We'd love to have uh, a, a, even a broader audience. So we just want to thank you so much for listening to the very first podcast of 2023. Have a wonderful, wild. wonderful, wonderful day. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye.